Dr. Reba and his team have found that ayahuasca hyperactivates the highly evolved neocortex, the area of the brain that makes us human. This is where we perceive, reason, and make decisions. Ayahuasca also activates regions like the amygdala, which acts as a storehouse for early emotional memories, specifically the most traumatic or significant ones, like the loss of a parent. Finally, ayahuasca activates the insula, which is believed to create a bridge between our emotional impulses and our decision-making capacities. So is that where awareness would be mediated? The neurologist uh, Damasio. Yes. He says the area where feeling states are generated is the, is the insula. According to many neuroscientists, our decision-making process has a powerful emotional component. When any stimulus enters the brain, the brain tries to understand it based on previous experiences. In early life, powerful or traumatic events create an imprint on the brain, a pattern. This pattern is like a shortcut, activated every time we face a similar situation. For example, if we were once attacked by a dog, our brain might harbor a set of these pathways that associate that dog with all dogs, making us fear them in general. We might even react adversely to a distant bark. Repeated events cause these neural patterns to reinforce their connections, binding them with protein and building them up like scar tissue. This is not like going to the doctor and, uh, honey, are you okay if we take your um, blood pressure now? <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, there was a lot of preparation before taking the medicine. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We're going to be chatting with Margaret DeWise a little bit later, uh, a little ayahuasca shamanism and her personal healing voyage and and all that good stuff. But uh, first, as always, Graham, I'll stash a pocket knife in your carry-on Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> no wonder why you got searched. <laughs> we we open up his bag. He's got a big set of shears in there, a Swiss Army knife. So, sir, do you have any sharp objects? <laughs> she specifically asked me that like three times. Do you have any sharp objects in here? I'm like, no, there's no sharp objects in here. Turns out there's a knife and a pair of scissors. That's a pair of scissors? A pair of scissors. I could have hijacked a plane. <laughs> Don't you call them ass scissors? Isn't that you that does that? A scissors? Yeah. No, I call them scissors. You sure? A scissors? Yeah. A scissors when you break the scissors in half. Right. You've got just like a scissor. Now that's a sharp object. <laughs> <laughs> two sharp objects. One sharp object has just become two sharp objects. Maybe it's because you didn't smell very well. Clothes, right? There's a border security show where they show people that have smoked and uh, they get pulled over because you, they can smell it on their clothes. They're trained to smell. Ooh. No, I don't think so. We're talking about our trip back from Paradigm Symposium in Minnesota. And uh, I was talking to the the uh, immigration officer about uh, the conference and she says, uh, so where were you? I'm like, I'm at the... The symposium on uh, ancient 
ancient mysteries and that type of thing. And she's asking me all these questions. So how did you hear about it? And when have you gone? And do you go every year? And what do you do for a real job and all this stuff? And she asked me again about something. I mentioned UFOs and she's like, do you believe in UFOs? I said, that's not a belief system. I know it's a genuine phenomenon. <laughs> and she actually, I think she dug my honesty on that. Meanwhile, Darren's getting pulled over and searched. The way in? On the way out. You know, I don't mind getting searched by fucking TSA. I'm a stranger in their country, a foreigner in a foreign land. They want to search me, whatever. When I'm coming back to Canada. The TSA is just the transportation authority. It doesn't have anything to do with immigration over there. Well, it's just still, safety yeah, stuff. Yeah, safety. I'm a foreigner. You want to search me in my strange country? Fine. When I'm coming back to Canada, I think it's offside. Well, they got it. I'm already on the ground. Yeah, but what if you're bringing in something illegal? Like what? Like drugs. That they already let me get on the plane? Like sharp objects. That they let me get on the plane. Like a banner. She says, what do you got? Nothing. I said, it's a banner. It's signed by all the speakers. And she goes, well, who was speaking there? And I tried to say, well, have you ever heard of Graham Hancock? And and uh, oh, I said, oh, so you know, there's that Egypt documentary about the Sphinx from the mid-90s. You know that guy, John Anthony West? He was there. She said, oh, okay. That was when she let me through when I mentioned John Anthony West. Why is it such a mission just to come home? I know. It's weird. Fuck off. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I kind of pissed her off. I was pretty pissed off. She could tell, like, she didn't really search my bag very well at all. No. I think they look for, like, someone to be nervous. They're, like, nervous not just or pissed jittery, right off. not just, like, pissed off. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because mm. she, like, opened it up and it was just a mess of cords and, like, phones. <laughs> and she's like, uh. <laughs> So were you working so down there? So what were you doing down there? I was like, no, I was podcasting. Did she ask what a podcast was? No. No? No. She knew? Did you I give her know. a card? No. <laughs> I was that pissed off. Good. Next time you come through, excuse me, sure. Well, because, uh, fuck, it was a struggle getting that bag shut. What do you mean? Might carry on, because there was so much shit crammed in there. Oh. I figured they were going to rip every, like, I went in there, the other guy, his shit was ripped, all his clothes were out. And he was packing it all back up. And I was like, you're fucking kidding was me. He a They're going to unpack all these cords and fucking, I don't know. Who am I to judge whether he's a Canadian? I don't know. I thought that was or part too of multicultural him. for me to say whether right. someone's a Canadian right. or not. So anyways, that was a great trip. So we're going to, we're going to wrap up uh, the paradigm uh, symposium in our last uh, released episode from paradigm, which will be coming up. Uh, I don't know. Probably. Are you going to release it uh, between normal episodes being released? I don't know yet. Yeah, we'll figure that it's out. There's been a lot of releasing and websites and emails and Yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of behind the scenes work and so so we did release a whole bunch of us uh, uh chats from from the symposium from the vendor room there. We recorded yeah. them there and we started releasing them right away. So, you know, there's Bye. really no intro or outro or anything like that. Uh we just wanted to get the content out. It's all free, of course, and then we're going to continue on with our normal stream of things. Yeah, so hopefully uh, some of the audio, all the audio turned out pretty good, but uh, hopefully none of it was too bad. We had the compressors turned up pretty high because we were in a room full of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which we're not used to dealing with, but yeah, most, of it pretty turned pretty, most of it turned out pretty good. Yeah, it was a fun symposium, so we'll talk more about that on the next one. We just got to get this uh, this episode out here and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I think there's nine in total. So uh, you might have missed a few. There's nine. There should be in total nine paradigm episodes out there. Uh, 
for your enjoyment, all about a half an hour long or so, I believe. So I've got some spam here. Um, if you want to hear it. Spam? Spam. I'd love to. Oh, oh fuck off. No, seriously? Okay, this is the profound UFO quote of the week then. Darren's changing gears on me here. No, I'm going to let you do two. Since, I don't have two ready. Since you went all the way through <laughs> Paradigm without doing one. Oh my god. Okay, there are unidentified flying objects. That is, there are a hardcore of cases, perhaps 20 to 30% in different studies, for which there is no explanation. We can only imagine what purpose lies behind the activities of these quiet, harmlessly cruising objects that time and again approach the Earth. The most likely explanation, it seems to me, is that they are simply watching what we are up to. That's Red Book, Volume 143, September 74, Dr. Margaret Mead, world-renowned anthropologist. Boom. That's it, buddy. No second one? No, that's all I got ready. I got some spam to talk about, though. We should get into that. You're declining the option to do two of it? Yeah, I I just can't. I can only do so much here. So uh, we got a we got a uh, new subscriber, Mark, and he sent me an email. I want to really thank him. He's from our uh, our country in Ottawa, Canada. <laughs> he says he would like to affirm all the typical comments you would expect to hear. I came across uh, our podcast from the No Agenda Show a few months back, and he's been an avid listener ever since. And yes, he experienced a contact high from the mushroom episode. Darren is still getting people baked a year later. Yeah. <laughs> And lastly, he decided it was time to subscribe after listening to Randall Carlson. However, when the episode was advertised, they thought it was going to be an episode on Freemasonry. But uh, he really liked the Randall Carlson episode. And we got to meet him in person at the Paradigm Symposium. It was awesome. He didn't speak, but he had a lot of content in Graham Hancock's presentation. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, and he's a super nice guy. Yeah. Oh, awesome guy. Up till 2 or 3 in the morning, regaling people. You were, or he was. He was. Yeah. So he also says, uh, he asked if we've come across anyone who's been researching the history of salvia. He had an experience some time back. It's organic and it doesn't last for more than a few minutes. So maybe if it's organic, Darren will try. His sensation was rather interesting and he could actively describe the situation as it unfolded. He immediately encountered a second force of gravity coming at him from the right as he stood up, and he was propelled into the wall. I could walk around, however, the force continued to push me back into the wall. Sorry, my apologies for switching the the tense of the of the uh, the email. I was describing him. Now I'm reading it as as he's describing it himself. <laughs> I thought I didn't know you could. I'm more impressed that you actually changed words around in your head without just blurred them out. <laughs> I'm trying new things here. Anyways, um, what was also unusual was that the force did not affect his tongue, which began to fall out of his mouth, and he couldn't keep it from coming out of his mouth. I've heard of varied stories of people's experience. Perhaps it could be coupled with an interview on the subject. Anyways, keep up the great work. How much of a donation would it take? for Darren to use the great Graham Dunlop in his intro. I used that a couple times. I know, I said that to him. Because it reminded me of Gretzky, of course, and then I got all, you know, talking about his retirement. And then you got all (laughs) (laughs) teary-eyed. Salvi, I've actually never tried it. Yeah, well, that's... It's uh, always around. I think you can still just buy it at the head shop. The head shop? Yeah, I think it used to be just legal. You just go in there and buy it. 
What's a head chop? By bongs and shit. Bongs and such. Such. Yeah, that's an example of a head chop. All righty. Hey, I also wanted to plug uh, one of our uh, bloggers and listeners and uh, subscribers. I think he's a subscriber. Is uh, Pat Pato? Have you heard about his new movie coming out? No. He's he's uh, he's got a Kickstarter. So I'm going to put this Kickstarter in the uh, show notes, and it's called The Jungle 2099. Um, this is this looks kind of cool. It's a post-apocalyptic horror sci-fi that shows humans subjected to the same process we, we put nearly 250 million animals through daily. So it's kind of like a uh, like a, probably like a Soylent Green kind of thing. <laughs> Soylent Green is people. That's what I'm saying. Okay, let me read it. Ready? He says, "I'm just going to read the little blurb from." Is there a trailer? Okay, yeah, read it. actually, there just is a trailer, but we don't link have to clips. the trailer. I am linking to the trailer. I constantly find myself drawn to science fiction, not so much for love of laser guns and rockets, although, I mean, come on, but perhaps because the genre deals in allegory and misdirection. Look back at those old Twilight Zone episodes. Racism, sexism, radical politics were all being discussed right there on primetime TV in an era of cultural conservatism, conservatism and rod serling got away with it because he dressed it up with robots and aliens it's all just smoke and mirrors people think you're showing them one thing when really it's something completely different the same could be said about the filmmaking process as a whole the jungle 2099 wears its politics on its sleeve and deals with the issue of animal cruelty in a more than blatant heavy-handed way but it still owes a huge debt to those early twilight zone episodes the concept concept is deceptively simple. Human beings subjected to the same processes animals are subjected to in a factory farming setting. For most of us, it's horrific to consider what cows endures on a daily basis all around the globe, but show a human going through that for the better part of 75 minutes and you just might reach your audience in a way you hadn't before. Because make no mistake, this Kickstarter is about more than just finding an audience for the movie. It's about reaching an audience with its message. This is just the first step. It's going to be a fucking gore fest. Is it? You think so? Yeah. They don't have to get into the gore, but it can Guaranteed. just be like the no, emotional it's, trauma. No, it's not going to be emotional. Really? It's going to be gore. I, I know really. Pato, which I don't. I like to think I know him a little. It'll be a gore fest. That's uh, actually a pretty good excuse to have him on the show. Yeah, we should have, have oh, for a few minutes. Yeah, shit, we should have done that this episode. Well, we'll have to. We'll 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 link this out. Maybe we'll bring him in for the next uh, intro just before the Kickstarter ends. So Kickstarter is ending October thirty first. So uh, and it's not a big one. So you know, back it up and get that message out that we're not like, or that we are just cattle. Speak for yourself. You're a sheeple. Mm. I'm a sheeple. Not really. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm the opposite. What's the opposite? A wolf? <laughs> in sheep's clothing? Alrighty, so uh, we want to... Uh, all the content here in Grand America is free, right? So uh, we would like you to help us out, help us with our expenses, donate to the show. We are going to be giving away the 50-50 uh, money bomb uh, at the end of this month. Yeah, It'll so be at least 100 bucks. Yeah, so I want to get at least 100 bucks. So if you like the show, if you if you like listening, and you and you can, we also do the subscription for five bucks. You're in every money bomb, and you get a Grammaric email address as sort of a rite of passage. Uh, well, supplies last, and it helps out the show. Um, 
We got a few subscribers. We had a new subscriber last month, a new subscriber too, and we always like to see that. So uh, go ahead, go to grimerica.ca slash moneybomb and hit the subscribe button. Yeah, and I'm going to link to the Paradigm Symposium. I want to thank John and Scotty and we have t-shirts Mike on. Hanks and them uh, to uh, for putting on another great symposium, and it's going to be happening next year as well, and we will be a part of it probably even bigger this year, right? Next year? This next year. Next year. That's right. Probably. What'd you say about t-shirts? Do we have t-shirts left? We do have t-shirts left. Maybe we should do a little promo, donate $25 or more, you get a t-shirt. We'll mail you a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, do you have any pictures of them? Don't you have those pictures I sent you? Of- yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll put so some put pictures those on. on the website. Just, you guys can check them out. Just don't put my um, face on there. Yeah, there's a couple pictures. That I, I've seen you on Facebook, I think. Me on Facebook? Yeah. How? I can't. I can remember it's somebody else from oh, Paradigm. You're like off in the corner. <clears throat> oh, I think there's actually might be pictures of the shirts on our Facebook page. It's the one with the just the purple and black and white we went with. Yeah, I think there's four or five of those left. So um, yeah, that's a good idea. If we get a donation over twenty or twenty five bucks, we'll send a T-shirt out. Yeah, and it'll give us your address when you donate, and we'll just uh, if it's more than twenty five bucks, we'll just the shirt will show up in the mail. If it's, oh, by if, the way, there's only, I think, larges left. And it'll be a large. It might, <laughs> it might be a couple of mediums, I'm not sure, but try not to specify a size. <laughs> well, supplies last. I yeah. think there's only larges and mediums. Yeah. Mind you, I pulled a XL out of the pack you gave me. Yeah. Um. Really? Yeah. Oh, geez, we were looking all over for one there. Yeah. So the site move is complete now. We're officially on DreamHost. All the email addresses should be back up and running. If you're having any problems with your email address. Um, I am. <laughs> I'm sick of helping you, though. <laughs> Seriously. If you're having trouble with your email email address, go ahead and uh, that one you can spam me on. Shoot me an email, Darren at GreatAmerica.com, and I'll try and get you sorted. And, oh, yeah, big thanks to Wayne Darnell. I know he had a fuck of a time. Um, over the last month, getting everything switched over and and doing all that stuff for us. And of course, we should talk about, uh, yeah, that's DarnellDigitalLink.com. We'll link to that. We're going to have Wayne on uh, for a few minutes in an episode down the road and touch base. Yeah, good idea. And uh, so, yeah, he did a, he's done a great job for us. So uh, the other thing is we should uh, talk about Justin's newsletter. Yeah. Yeah, he's nice enough to initiate the newsletter. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, it does. He did a real good job. I think he's doing it weekly or bi-weekly or something, but uh, there's a link over at the website, grimerica.ca slash news. will get you there as well. You just pop in your name and your email address and you're signed up and you'll get all the updates and Graham's uh, profound quotes. Yeah, that's great. Life-changing quote. I also just wanted to say I'm going to link to uh, Intrepid Paradigm Radio. They are now on Live 365 on another network, so I'm just going to link to that. That's John Ward and Scotty Roberts. Uh, Scotty Roberts. Oh, I'm going to start linking to that. And we'll plug that a little bit. Did you check the mail lately? Oh, <laughs> oh the real mail. You want to talk about that? I think we should. That deserves a shout-out. <sighs> now we're going to be expected to eat real spam on the air. Dar- Darren, we got some spam, two cans of spam. I wonder if they're the same type. Is there yeah, more than one type of spam? I think there's only one type. I thought there was a pink can of spam. I don't know. Lisa too. said she figures I eat spam all the time. She's like, lots of restaurants just throw it on little sandwiches. Really? Yeah. 
So anyways, it's good. We got lots of time. It's good for four years before it goes bad. It exp- you know, it's kind of bad when it expires in like 2018. Eat some now. <laughs> no, I can't. Honestly, I'll, I'll, I'm not feeling very good. I'll, I'll, I won't, I'll be sick. Next week. But uh, it, came, to next it week. came with a note from one of our listeners, and we've talked about him before. He's an awesome guy, Harold. And uh, Harold it says, Florida, now right? you've been really spammed. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we can do that though, eh? Next week or the week after, and the coming episode we'll eat open and eat. What do you, uh, you? There's got to be something to go with it, like a cracker. Some Is crackers. it good on a cracker, like just a soda cracker, or does it really matter? Yeah, I can't just eat it like. like no, that. I no. just eat it. Not out of the can. You see it? We cut that fucking block of ham in half and <laughs> down the hat. Really? Yeah. Okay, if you're gonna do it, I'll do it. You go first. Though. Mind you, you'll have the munchies, so it won't be nearly as bad. That's inflammatory. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should about do it, though, eh? Anything else? We'll save the rest of our Paradigm stuff for a Paradigm wrap-up. Uh, we got some Oculus stuff, too. We've been playing around with that. We got our Scoobus, or fucking Oculus guy, kind of sweetening that up. I think we're going to try next weekend. Um, yeah. He's going to look let us try out all the coolest demos he's found so far and we're gonna should be able to give a detailed report yeah it's pretty intense i know that i've only tried a few demos but it's crazy yeah might fuck you up though yeah makes me a bit sick yeah yeah guys uh, enjoy the chat with uh, margaret dewise Uh, it was a fun one and we will uh, pick you up on the other side thanks man Okay, guys, this week on the Great America Show, we're going to be chatting with Margaret DeWise, uh, talking a little ayahuasca shamanism, um, some healing and, and things like that. Uh, but first, how's it going, buddy? Long time no see. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, glad to be glad to be back in the studio. Kind of missed it. The igloo, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we're, uh, we're kind of sticking along our healing trend here for a little while longer. I'm happy to say. And we've got Margaret DeWise here, like uh, Darren said. She was a composer and a sound installation artist, but she's also traveled extensively around the world, working closely with traditional healers throughout the world. Um, She's also taken groups to the uh, Amazon to work with a shaman who actually uh, helped her with uh, healing of her breast cancer. So we want to hear a bit about that. She's been the author of uh, Black Smoke, A Woman's Journey of Healing, Wild Love, and Transformation in the Amazon. And uh, her latest book, Ecstatic Healing, A Journey into the Shamanic World of Spirit Possession and Miraculous Medicine. So, man, this stuff fits right in with what we've been talking about lately, and we're happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Grimerica, Margaret. 
Well, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. And hello, Calgary. Yeah. Hello, world. <laughs> hello, world. Yeah. Crazy world these days, huh? Actually, yeah. Yeah, mostly the States. Yeah, mostly oh, the States. Oh, yeah. Ho, ho, ho. yeah, but we got West Africa, and we got the Middle East, and we got the Ukraine, and Iceland's volcanoes going off. Really, the whole world is uh, pretty goofy these days. Yeah, Darren likes to keep track of where our podcast reaches, and we're into like, I don't know, what, 100, 120 countries now or something, Darren? Yeah, I think around 122 or something. Yeah, that's like that. crazy. Well, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. But, and still, I think like 85 or 80, at least 80% of that is U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You know, they love their podcast on there. Yeah. You crazy. guys love your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, you're teaching that's me something good. every day. <laughs> That's good because you guys uh, kind of lead the world in that sort of department, the culture world. So the things are looking up for the podcast realm. Hey, that's good so, news, huh? Speaking of leading the world and stuff, I mean, it must be changing down the states. We've, I've, I've heard about uh, ayahuasca now over the last. Like I, I hadn't even heard of that for the first. I'd never heard about it till I was like twenty-seven. Really? Well, 20, how, twenty-five when, or twenty? What year? What year was that? Because I'm trying to. Oh, 2005. Okay, so I probably heard about it in like 2008 or nine, even. Yeah, maybe. And then, how old and now I, I just now I hear about it all the time. So it must be changing all the all these journeys that you're doing into the Amazon with people. Um, it must be changing the culture of North America for sure. Uh, changing the culture of the Americas, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, yes, I've been going down since. Um, early 2000 and I'm taking another group this November uh, and usually um, at least probably 60-70% of the people I take down are have some kind of um, illness or sickness that they want cured and, and the person that I go to is, is an Uishin um, which I guess we could say is similar to a shaman in that he intercedes with different spirits and beings um, and with the plant spirit of ayahuasca, uh, the several plants that are in it um, to heal people. And uh, yeah, so that's a big question, you know, like, you know, what's going on in the United States with that. I mean, obviously there are a lot of communities that are um, drinking the sacred medicine and apartment buildings and, you know, houses and, and so on. Um, And, I think there's only one place really that it's legal in the United States, and that's in uh, New Mexico with Jeffrey Bronfman. Um, his um, vegetal, it's a daime um, way of, of uh, drinking medicine from Brazil, and he won a court case with the United States because they took something like 50 gallons of his, what he called tea, and um, confiscated it. And he won the case and got the medicine back. And so he's, uh, as a religious leader, allowed to administer. Um, the Native American church is also allowed to administer and everybody else is illegal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, I was up in Manana, um, uh, Manitoulin Island, which is in your country. Okay. Mm-hmm. Working with the Anishinaabek and the Cree, um, uh, we went up there because there were so many sick people, uh, and there was a big court case that came out of that. 
um, which is discussed in my book, Black Smoke. Um, because the, the uh, island itself is non-seceded. So the um, regular, the Canadian police were not really having any authority there, but something took place during one of the ceremonies, and they captured um, two of the Ecuadorian Amazonian healers and kept them uh, under lock and key for a while. And it's... Ha! It's a big story, and it's in black smoke. Because you see, what happens is I went down there. I was sick, and I started basically living in Ecuador after I was healed. And so here I am in the jungle with an Amazonian Indian, the the Shuar, who are known as the head shrinkers. Uh, they, oh, okay. the war, the most fierce warrior tribe in the high upper Amazon. And they basically say that for tens of thousands of years, they've been using the same kind of healing medicine. And at one point, um, Carlos, that's his name in the book, wanted to come to America and I brought him. And from there, he wanted to meet his brothers and sisters, meaning the Aboriginal first nation people of North America. Oh. Uh, and so some of the elders said, please come. We have a lot of sick people. Um, can you come and um, help us? And we did. What were they sick with? Did you guys uh, in, in the, Yeah. Oh, in, in the book I described, there was the, the first night of ceremony, there were so many people. Um, we put the heroin addicts in one place, rape victims in another place, heart patients in another place, diabetes in another place. I mean, it was um, it was incredible. I mean, so much sickness in in one room, and um, there was a lot of healing that went on. It was it was humbling, truly, truly humbling. Hmm. What um, were you? What what brought you? Where, I suppose when did your journey first kind of take this sort of swerve? Because in the book you kind of describe how this isn't something that you kind of you know you kind of just jumped into it and it kind of caught some people off guard. So I, I was just wondering if you could kind of tell our listeners what what made you take this route. Um, I you know I I came from um, a well-to-do in in a sense middle class background. I was um, on a college campus um, teaching music uh, composition. My husband was a, a well pretty well-known filmmaker. We had a young daughter, so everything seemed to be going pretty well. I mean, I was doing music in Europe and California, New York, and I got sick. And, you know, the doctor said we have to, you know, um, I don't like to use the word see, you know, that word, because, uh, (laughs) but anyway, they said we have to do a mastectomy, we have to do radiation, we have to take this, that, blah, blah, blah. And it really threw me for a loop. And I know a lot of people are going through this now because I have people at phone consults with people that are having problems um, physically. And so I didn't know what to do. And I started writing music like crazy. I was just, you know, kind of obsessed. And so as I was walking down the street in one of the local towns here, I ran into someone and they said, Oh, you have to come to Guatemala. 
I said, well, why? What's there? And they said, well, there's an indigenous meeting. It's a prophecy from 500 years ago. Uh, it's for the Choltun, which is the 13-year transition to 2012. And every race has to be there. And they're inviting a few whites. Why don't you come? And I asked her some more questions. She said, well, people are coming from all of North America, natives, Native Americans, and from South America. And at one point, she said, there's going to be 500 healers. And I said, I'm going. Did she know that you that were sick? No. Wow. And I said, I'm going. So I'm, I was in Guatemala, and it was an extraordinary experience, one which I haven't written about yet. Um, and there were all these healers, and I would look at, there was a youth medicine man. He was the chief, and he, he was beautiful. He was a wonderful, wonderful person. I knew he could heal me. And there was someone else, and I didn't tell anybody I was sick. There were people from the Andes. They were Witoto from the Colombian rainforest. Um, there were uh, people from Hawaii and Cuba. Um, there were about four or 500 Mayan healers, and they were doing these ceremonies. And so I just, you know, was um, part of this extraordinary experience, and I didn't tell anybody I was sick, and this Indian... A native man came up to me, and he was in full regalia. He had a big corona of feathers on, bare-chested, these rattly bone-type beads, um, all of his accoutrements. And he came up and he said, I can see inside your body. And I said, uh-huh. He said, for me, you're like looking through a drinking glass. I can see into your veins. I can see your bones. I can see your cells. And you have black smoke right there in your chest. And if you come to Ecuador, I will heal you. And I said, hey, that's my healer. (laughs) So that was Carlos? Yes. um, Yeah. And so um, we hung out quite a bit together and we went to Tikal. We went all over. I mean, there was just this extraordinary experience with all of these very brilliant, magical, spiritual people. I went home. I went to my husband and my daughter. I said, Hey, I'm going to take my treatment in Ecuador in the Amazon jungle. And they said, are you crazy? (laughs) Are you out of your mind? Can't you do what the doctors say? (laughs) And I said, Got to go. And I had a lumpectomy and down I went. Uh, and that's the beginning of Black Smoke. So it's the book talks about me drinking Natem, which is um, the Quechua called ayahuasca. And I have a chapter in the book. It's called The Holy Terror. Okay. Um, and I did many, 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 many ceremonies with him. Uh, Eventually, um, I became healed and went back to New York. The doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, you know, but you should still have the radiation. You should still do all this stuff. I said, Uh I don't think so. And uh, then I went back to South America and started training with him. So you can imagine, I mean, I had concerts in New York City and all over. I wasn't showing up for my concerts. I was in the jungle, in the dirt. And (laughs) 
that, that's kind of um, the beginning of Black Smoke. And so there's a lot of stuff about um, what the sacred medicine is like, um, what the people are like there, who they come from, um, their cosmology, um, very spiritual things where um, we would be working on a patient and I would see things come out of the patient's body. Like one time he was working on this older woman's hips and he said, do this, do that. And I was doing rattling and touching different spots. And all of a sudden, boom, this little like two-year-old child came out right from her hip. And I looked and I was like, holy, oh, I was going to say that word. <laughs> and <laughs> That's okay. You, and, you can in grammar. Well, anyway, you know, I caught myself because I was like, I don't know where I am. I'm who am I talking to? And and then um, Carlos Juan looks at me and he goes, oh, you saw that, too. And so the next morning, you know, the woman, she says, oh, my hips are all better. I can move and everything. And I said, hey, you know, what was that in there? You know, what was that? And he says, oh, you know, she had a child die that was two. And it was in the soul of it was basically stuck in in her uterus and it's been causing her pain. And so we released that and she's better now. And I said, and so I'm thinking, okay, um, this isn't psychological. This is in the beginning of, you know, when I'm working with him. Um, So that means that I saw a spirit and other people saw this spirit. And so this woman got better when that was released. And that was kind of a big eye opener for me. I mean, I'm way beyond that now, but that yeah, was yeah. like, Hey, wow. And so I said, well, okay, why did you, why did you, why are you asking me to start working on people? Why, why, why do you want me? What are you training me for? What are you doing? And he goes, well, you're healed now. So you're going to work with me. And I said, what do you mean I'm healed? And I was like, are you kidding? You know, this is like an aside for him. You're, you're all better. You know, now let's get to work. Um, and basically he said that when we were in um, Guatemala, he said, I didn't really know you, but we were in this um, area of Tikal. There were these big ceiba trees and we lay down together and I guess we were holding hands and um and he was telling me some stories and we could hear jaguars panting in the background. And he's a jaguar, um, which we would call, I guess, a jaguar shaman. And I've seen him turn into a jaguar. It's pretty, 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 uh, pretty <laughs> fierce. It's really fierce. Ooh-wee. It's majorly fierce. And uh, he use, uses those claws actually to pull out tumors. And it's just like this beast, you know, and he's, says, boom, I get it right out of me as quick as I can because it's very hard to control, but that's what he uses for certain kind of tumors and things. Um, Anyway, uh, later in Ecuador, he said, oh, you know, Mama Nunkui married us under the tree, and I didn't know why, but she said that, you know, we were meant to work together to heal the people in South America and... um, I mean, he, you know, everything he said was always incredibly poetic and beautiful, which I think I've captured in the book, either verbatim from his words or, um, you know, close enough. Uh, so, so getting back to your, your healing journey, mm-hmm. um, 
Did you, was there a point during that, all those ser- uh, sessions that you did and all the ceremonies where you realized that you were healed or was there a, you know, a, a point where you felt something happen or was it just sort of gradual? You know, actually it probably, um, well, I explain in detail how I could see what was going on. The first time that he did this healing on me, I could see the black smoke coming out of the place. And he was like magnetizing it and pulling it away. And then he was doing this kind of sucking on me, which is called chupando, where you suck out um, the sickness. And sometimes it'll get stuck in the um, shaman's throat, if we use that word, and they start coughing. And if they can't expel it, it could kill them. And then he would shoot it off in space. And I, and I actually say something about how I felt completely um, that something amazing had taken place and that this stuff had left my body. And of course, you have to realize that before I even did that, there were several initiations I had to go through. Right. And he kept me on, you know, the edge of like reality even before I, I got to that point. So thereafter, we kept taking more medicine and I would watch him heal other people and I would see the jaguar and I would have my own visions um, and uh, live with the Shuar people. So it, everything was so intense. I mean, you know, before this, he buried me in the earth. That's described in my book. And before that, you know, here I am. It's the middle of the night. We're in this truck, and we get out of the truck, and we start check, trucking through the jungle. It's, you know, it's midnight, whatever, flashlights, you can't see where you're going, you can't see, you know, you're just in the jungle, and there's about 15 Ecuadorans, Aboriginal people, walking in single file. I don't know their names, I don't know who they are, I can't see their faces. Carlos says, ah, I've got to go back, I've got to go back, and he runs away and leaves me in the middle of the jungle with people I have no idea who they are or where we're going. And I'm like, oh my God, what the... What is this? And so the guys kept saying, just follow us, just follow us. And so, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I'm in the middle of the jungle. I follow them. And we finally get to um, the village, which is quite small. And Carlos is sitting there giggling. And he (laughs) said, "I, I had to go back because I thought somebody was attacked by a crocodile. Huh. And he said, but they're okay. So the next morning when I get up, that little path that went on for several hours was lined on both sides with hundreds of crocodiles, okay? That was the beginning. And that was, you know, it just kept getting more and more and more intense, all right? So did I know that I was healed? No, because I was trying to keep up with all this stuff which was incredibly mythic and fantastic and beautiful and gorgeous and profound. So, so now looking back on your healing, you know, I I hear about this all, all the time in different types of healing about this emotional uh, reason. It could be conscious or subconscious or some sort of traumatic, you know, event that's sort of like you mentioned about that, that other woman that had that uh, two year old spirit stuck in, in her hip or whatever. But, did did you realize there's, there's anything to to your uh, condition at all? 
<clears throat> excuse me, I did. Um, I said that there was an emotional release and that, um, gosh, I, I wish I could find the page. I have the book here, um, but it really affected me emotionally. And, um, oh, I say, I believe Carlos had touched the roots of my disease, which I began to suspect were fear, repression, and the calcification of love and the life force within me. I didn't. I didn't know what was coming next, but at that moment, I decided that there was no turning back. So that is true. And, you know, over the years, because I've worked with so many healers, I've always wondered about the emotional component. Believe me, in my experience, in my understanding, not all diseases are caused by emotional components. But there is always an emotional component attached to a disease. I mean, yeah, just, yeah, the, yeah. just the fact that I had this extreme extremely excruciating fear um that that was a very big emotional component okay. so some some things are 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 caused by emotional problems some are caused by problems in the psychic body some are genetic problems and some are spiritual problems hmm. yeah that makes sense to me actually yeah huh. so you um you kind of describe in your book the process of of when you got there and like the, the first step isn't, isn't jumping into to the ayahuasca. You actually had to go through a bit of uh, cleansing first. Oh yeah. You wanted to say what that was or should I? <laughs> well, okay. So then the next morning I get up after, you know, seeing all these crocodiles and imagining me being eaten alive. Um, I go down kind of this little path. And there's six or eight guys. Uh, there's a big barrel in front of them, and they're drinking all this liquid and throwing up. Is that, is that the ayahuasca itself? No. I know a few people that do that every weekend. <laughs> do they have too much alcohol? Once in a while. <laughs> so I'm like, hey. And, and so Juan Carlos says to me, okay, you're going to drink 11 cups of this and you're going to throw up. I said, hey, you got to be out of your mind. I am, <laughs> you know, I'm from America. I am not throwing up and, you know, forcing myself to throw up. And he said, well, you're not leaving until you do. And I'm looking at those guys who are looking at me and they're, hey, what's the gringa going to do now? You know, that kind of thing. And I said, no, I'm, I refuse. I don't like throwing up. I'm not going to do it. And so he's like getting angry. You have to do what I say, that kind of thing. Finally, he says, well, do you want me to tell you why? And I said, yeah, that would help. And uh, he said, because there's all sorts of bacteria, bilis, you know, uh, bile, um, different worms. I mean, he says, come here, come here, come here. And he's showing me everybody's vomit, what's in there, right? And, and he's saying, this will clean you out. This will help purify you and get you ready for the next step. And I said, no, I don't think so. And um, he says, okay, if you don't drink this, we're going to give you an enema with it. So you got to get it in you. <laughs> like, oh, you're a wretched person. I hate you. <laughs> so anyway, I start to sip this and he goes, no, more, faster, faster, faster. And so finally, um, after a lot of prodding and probably an hour or two, I started vomiting all over the place. And then, you know, um, so you can see that 
this is not like going to the doctor and, uh, honey, are you okay if we take your um, blood pressure now? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of preparation before taking the medicine. Hmm. How long did the that uh, little episode last? Uh, it lasted the rest of the day because then I had diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, I got cleaned out. I, got, I called it getting roto rootered you know. Um, How'd you but, feel in the morning, though? Uh, the morning, that's when I had to go um, on this uh, sacred voyage to an island out in the uh, Pastasa River to get buried. I didn't have time to feel how I felt about one thing, okay, rather than another. Um, yeah, but, you know, I mean, I guess I felt fine. I mean, they don't, the, the, the food that they eat is so unappealing um, because it, not because it's simple, but they'll take uh, boiled plantains and boiled yucca and put it in a pot. I mean, put it in a pot, boil it, and throw it on the table, and that's what you eat. No salt, nothing, you know, no flavor. It's just white starch. Uh, so I think you get like very clean. Yeah, you get very cleaned out by that, too, you know. <laughs> so so people... um. A lot of people, like I've met so many people that have gone down there now over the last couple of years to Amazon to do these, you know, they've tried healing through ayahuasca and they've gone down to, some people have had really profound experiences, but I, I always wonder how, you know, you hear about these groups too that, um, that aren't, they don't have the kind of highest purpose in mind, like that they're kind of taking people's money or whatever. So how do you recommend people choose uh, who to see while they're down there? That might be kind of a tough question, but well, it's not a tough question because what we have now is called ayahuasca tourism, yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, yeah, right. Um, and so, I, you know, I go through towns in Ecuador. And there's a lot of places in Peru. They go, hey, you know, for twenty five dollars or a hundred dollars, or I don't know what the prices are, but you know, we'll take you out and you know, give you this stuff. So first of all. Um, in my experience, now I've been working with this person, you know, since 2000 and been taking people down there for almost 15 years. So I trust him and I understand that, you know, the person that is conducting a ceremony has to hold a particular kind of sacred space. And in fact, they cordon it off so that bad influences don't come in. And, you know, the good and the bad is always in the spiritual world moving around us. But really highly adept people can stop anything from happening to you that shouldn't be happening. And if you put yourself in a position where, you know, some, you know, ice cream man is going to give you, you know, ayahuasca, look out. And in fact, over the years, people from Europe and other countries have called me because they've um, ended up in psychiatric wards, um, thinking that spirits are chasing them or having attachments or feel like they're being possessed um, because they, you know, you open yourself up spiritually and you have to be in a very safe place. So what I would recommend to people going down there, if you don't know from a very recommended, highly under uh, understood source, 
who you're going to see, I would say that, you, you, you know, you're taking your life in your hands. Um, and so, you know, when I take people, it's, it, you know, it's a serious business because everybody's got to be safe. Everybody has to be taken care of. And I have to know that they're protected at all times. Um, and just a lot of not good experiences. And that's not to say you couldn't try it and, and have a decent experience. It's just, um, yeah, it's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. So, and so, and also uh, so many people want money now. They'll, they're willing to do anything, you know. And, in yeah. fact, they could give you lighter fluid and tell you it's ayahuasca. I mean, yeah. you know, because ayahuasca now is getting very expensive because it's being depleted in the jungle. Wow. Yeah. So so you do still do, you do tours, and we could link to all your information in the show notes. If people were interested in going down there um, – does does Carlos deal strictly with with uh, healings, or is he open to spiritual things, or people just come? Well, around? he's 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 first of all a spiritual being. So when he does healings, I see spirits that are working through him. Um, he's got tremendous energy. You know, we talk about energy healers in the United States, and you know his stuff is like whoa. And he's also known as a bush doctor. So he know, and so he treats everything from you know like slashes in the legs to broken legs to you know head injuries for people there. I mean, and they think of him. They go, "Oh, the doctor," you know. They don't yeah, think right, of right. him. And and he has a clinic, and people line up all day. And even very high people, like in the military or the government, will come to him. So he, you know, I mean. He actually, Natem Ayahuasca um, is used in particular situations and not in every situation. Um, So the Shwa themselves will use it either for healing or to look into the future to find out what they should do about their family or where they should move or, you know, something that's very specific. They would never take it as a recreational uh, drug. And it's not a drug, but they wouldn't take it recreationally and say, hey, I'm going on a journey. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I think that's what Darren's looking for. What's wrong with journeys? <laughs> <laughs> Nada. So, Zip. so our, our society still has a real hard time accepting uh, healing, right? Like Freedom. It doesn't come <laughs> from, uh, you know, Western medicine or whatever. So, but you've, it sounds like you've experienced um some healing uh, with you know with other people and all is there any that stick out for you that you could that you could tell people about in, in uh, the amazon there were, well i could tell you from all over the world okay right right but right but in the amazon there was this guy from switzerland and he was in quito which is at 11,000 feet it's a very high mountain and he was parapenting hand gliding and he fell and he shattered one leg from the knee all the way down, like just in a zillion little bones. And his um, cousin or sister was there. She's also from Switzerland. They went to the hospital and they were going to fly him back to Zurich. And the doctor said, this is really bad. You're going to have to have several operations, millions of pins. It's going to take months of operations to get this back into some kind of order and you 
never going to really be able to walk properly again. So they were getting ready to load him on some med, med plane. And uh, Carlos said, I can heal you. And you won't be cut into. I can make it perfect. And he said, I'm staying here. So I saw the guy. And so, and Carlos used different medicines for this. And I'm like, I can't tell you because it's kind of secretive. But right. um, the medicines that come out are doctor spirits that are specifically for bones. And um, they used this medicine for a couple of months. And he also took plasters and put it on the guy's legs. I came back two months later, Francois was walking perfectly. Wow. So all of the bones had knit back together exactly how they were supposed to be. He was never cut into, pins were never placed there, and he had no trouble walking. Now, I think that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Huh. What about people that have had their own, what about people that have done ayahuasca journeys, or, or not journey, but healings, and, and have uh, had their own you know, healing experience. Uh, well, that was a pretty big healing experience for him. I mean, um, and also he, you know, he was seeing visions of these doctor spirits too. And he was, you know, sometimes when, when you're in that situation, uh, many times, um, you will be taken into these different realities and you will be learning stuff. So uh, I would say in every situation, some people get something out of um, the experience, if not something profound and life-altering. Right. What? Um, that, oh, sorry. Is that what you wanted me to yeah. say? I mean, any asking? No. Well, no, I'm just, uh, I just, you know, we talk about ayahuasca so much as far as just a... Uh, not not in healing terms, right? So more of a gateway. Yeah, sometimes. it's more of a, a kind of a interdimensional trip or whatever. But um, I'm just curious about the healing aspect of it, right? I have heard some stories about people having experiences where they kind of picture themselves being healed, or there's some sort of uh, fantastic, uh, you kind know, of like I, a charade, like a, a charade in the other realm, like you're acting yeah. something out, like yeah. a removal. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, that can happen, and lots lots happens. And actually, I mean, the one thing that Americans or Western people, from my understanding, is that they don't really believe that there's this other dimension where everything right. takes place that has something to do with this dimension. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and... Um, you know, to make it right on the physical, many times you have to go to the spiritual, I'm going to call it the spiritual dimension, and make it right there first. And I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to switch it over a little bit to talk about the beginning of my book, Ecstatic Healing. Um, yes, please do. Because John of God, who's a, known as a miraculous healer and maybe the greatest healer since Jesus is what people had said, um, does things that are extraordinary. There's no um, plants involved. There's no 
breathing any kind of air. You you go into the casa, his casa in Brazil, which is a healing house, and there are thousands of uh, entities, entidades, they say in Portuguese, that are doing the healing on people. And John of God basically... Um, the first thing that happens is he incorporates and a spirit comes into his body that does the healing. John of God doesn't remember anything. So a good part of his life, he's like not even on the planet and um, the entities, you know, you can sometimes tell which one it is. Um, Many times you can, because the eyes change color, the voice changes color, the way the, the, the entity walks um, and John of God, I don't know how familiar you are with him, but he'll do um, invisible surgery, which is working on the body spiritually and can't be seen. And then he does a physical surgery where he takes a knife or a scalpel and cuts into somebody and pulls out their uh, diseased appendix or what have you. Um, those kind of things are graphic. I've seen them several times, him operating on a person's brain. and. You know, yes. Yeah, cut right in there and pull tumors out. And the thing bleeds very little. There's no anesthesia. There's no antiseptic. And then he takes like a a needle with some gut and puts two stitches in. Okay. Now, I've seen this and I've had him operate on me before. And, and, um... You know, to to see it, it's grotesque because you're looking inside somebody's body that's got a big cut in it. But um, he heals, I mean, millions of people have gone to him. And I'm going to be seeing him uh, the end of September at Omega, which is in upstate New York, uh, where we see there about 1,500 people a day. Um, And so, you know, to give you another level it's not another level but another way of healing um which is not any better greater or lesser than what carlos does in the amazon he's working exclusively with spirits and he actually uses some herbal medicine which is energetically charged for each person so there were you there's these long lines and people file by and wow john of god says um, operation, pills, you know, he, he just like says one word and somebody translates it for you. And you move on. You don't get to hang out with him. He doesn't touch you. He doesn't say, how are you feeling? You're just in there with a thousand people moving along the line.
does it seem to work for the majority of the people? Like, obviously, you have no doubt in, in your mind that, that he's performing miracles here, but... Uh, but uh, is it is it pretty good for most people, or what? What do you think that like the su- success rate is for that? I think the success rate is really high, but they don't do a scientific on it. Right. You know, like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and also yeah. there's so many tens of thousands of people that go through every month. Yeah. So I was going to give you an example of one guy. There's this guy Norm, and he's about was about sixty at the time. This is like eight years ago, I think. And um, he walked through the line and he was there. He needed a hip replacement. He's a New York City guy. And he was in a lot of pain. And he said, you know what? Let me just try. I don't believe this, but let me try Brazil. Why not? And then I'll come back and have the operation. So he gets up in front of John of God and he says, move on, you're healed. And he said, all of a sudden, all the pain was gone. He could walk perfectly. He walked out the door. He went back um, to New York. They got did an MRI. There was nothing wrong with his hips, so he was healed instantaneously. So when you say that people walk through this line, I'm just trying to picture it myself now because you don't. You obviously don't get a lot of one on one time with the guy, but he'll he just gets none. So he'll just say something like, uh, and and somebody translates a, a word or two for you, and hopefully you've been touched or healed. Not touched, but you know what I mean. Well, usually what happens is, um, you know, this is an instantaneous surgery. I mean, an instantaneous without any physical surgery or touching or anything, because there's so many spirits there that are working on the body. Uh, There was another guy there, Gerardo, who was from Belo Horizonte. He's Brazilian, and he was blind in one eye. So he went and... Joao said keep, he kept telling him to come back, to come back and sit as, um, basically sit as a medium. So you sit in a kind of meditation. Um, and so he did that for 12 years, and his eyesight came back. And he told me that it came back better than it was because he could run for 36 kilometers through the Brazilian um, you know, this is like jungly type place in the dark and see perfectly like a panther or a cat. But for him, and he asked John of God, he said, why, why does it take so long? And John of God explained to him that there are three parts to the body. There's the spiritual body, the psychic, and the physical body. And sometimes the psychic body has to, or the spiritual body has to be worked on first and then it filters down. So for some people it's instantaneous because their spirits are ready for that to happen. For others, it takes years. Right. So what did you say that was uh, spiritual, psychic and physical? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Psychic body, uh, physical body, psychic body. That's what I call it. Some people call it astral body or I don't know. There's probably a billion terms and then the, the soul. Or the spiritual body. Huh. So, okay, so sorry to interrupt you. So continue on. So sometimes the spirits are, are ready and that can happen instantaneously. It's a little different with the psychic one and even still different with physical. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, for instance, John of God will say, if you've got a toothache, go to a dentist. You know, yeah. it's a physical thing. Don't, <laughs> you know, you don't need to uh, come to me for that. But usually anybody that even has a toothache, there's always something. Sp- if we were spiritually perfect, we wouldn't be here. Okay. 
<laughs> so there, you can always get something out of it, but it's a very profound experience. I mean, you see hundreds of people in this room and, and the energy, I don't know what else to call it. It's so sublime. People are crying, they're fainting. Nothing's happening to them. It's uh, people are getting healed. You see young children getting up out of a wheelchair that have never walked before. It's, it's like you see people on hunchbacks, schizophrenics. I mean, you know, just the sickest people, people that are terminal. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's something. And he's, you know, he's given his life to healing people. It's just crazy that it's still, there's still this big controversy around him, right? Like you can talk about seeing hundreds of people, and uh, getting getting healed of one sort or another, and there's still it's still our mainstream society won't accept that. You know, it's crazy to me. Like they, what do they say? Like what do the skeptics say? It's a uh, mass hallucinations or mass uh, psychosis. Like it just, oh, it blows me away. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time in Africa, Bali, Egypt, um, West Africa, South Africa, Zimbabwe different places in South America and Mexico with um, Aboriginal people in the United States. I don't stay where I live because um, the people that are doing it are down there. They're in other places and there's not the same um, stigma Stigma. because, Yeah. yeah, there's not the mindset. I mean, you know, people are in their heads like this can't possibly happen. It's just not possible. Well, it's not going to happen if you believe that and you if you don't go and actually look for it. Right. Um, there was a doctor down there. Uh, well, actually, several doctors go down there. They're curious, okay, and they want to know what's going on. And, um, <laughs> and so at, there was one patient, um, you know, I was with the, in a group setting, so taking some people down, and this woman – uh, wrote to Josie Ravenwing several years ago and said, I really want to see John of God, but I haven't been able to get out of bed for five years. Um, I'm on a morphine drip, and she explained, you know, physically that she can't do anything. So Josie talked to John of God, um, and he said, here, send these pills to her, and in three months she'll be able to come. So she was taking the pills, and at about two months or something, she felt good enough to try to fly to Hawaii and back and see if she could do it, because Brazil's not close. She came with her doctor husband on a stretcher with an IV bag and morphine drips, and we put her in her room. She didn't get out of her room. She didn't even go to the casa for a week, and she started getting better a little by little now she had something very odd she had some neurological disease but she also had something where the back of her brain fell out of her skull and went down into her spine so they had to operate to take the back of her skull off push her brain back up and put a cadaver's um, brain uh, skull in the back of it And then she had neurological disorders from something else and, you know, some other kind of diseases. She was very sick. So her doctor husband went with her and 
John of God would always say, come here, look at this, look at this operation. And so, you know, he loves to have the doctors around him and they're just astonished at all the stuff that he's doing. Uh, And at one point he was sitting in the same room that John of God was sitting and he became stiff like a board. And because he kind of didn't believe all this stuff. It's like, what is this crap? You know? And so John of God in entity form said, bring him over. And they lifted him up like he was a piece of wood. He couldn't bend any of his joints. And they brought him to John of God. And John of God said, okay, it's over. And his body was released. And he was like so taken with that. And he was like a little puppy. Every place Joao went, he had to be with him. And he just, you know, loves the guy. Because he really got the firsthand proof of it, which is what he felt like he needed. Um, So by the second week, his wife was up going to the casa every day. And the last day of the two weeks, she was dancing. And to this day, she is still up walking around, working and having a decent life. Wow. Yeah, that's so I was kind of going to ask you about the difference between like chronic uh, conditions and, and, uh, you know, just acute conditions or whatever. Um, so it sounds like some of this healing and, or all of these types of healing can be applicable to chronic conditions as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it, is, do you notice a different process or a, lar- a bigger challenge or, uh, you know, it, you know, just talking about these two healers from two different books of mine, um, you know, Juan or Carlos says everybody, he says he sees everybody's life battery. Okay. And he sees like if all the juice is gone, nothing can be done. But let's say they have some kind of really bad disease that's terminal. They say you got three months to live. He sees life battery juice. He can extend that. So that the person can give live longer, but he's not God. You know, uh, once the physical body is meant to go home or die or whatever you want to call it, that's it. John of God is the same way. He, um, he, he, they do talk about karmic factors. I mean, just about everybody that I've ever worked with. In fact, I can't think of one who does not believe in karma, um, which is interesting. Um, because in you know the United States, there's not much talk about that. Um, right. <laughs> so John of God, again, either one of them can heal the gravest disease. They can heal somebody that's supposed to die in two days. They can right. heal anything, either one of them. But will it happen? It depends on what your spirit and your soul needs and what is right for you. So I'm saying they can heal anything. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, brain cancer or, um, you know, MS or whatever. It can be done. And some people, it happens overnight. Some people, it takes years. And some people, they die because that's what they're uh, meant to, to happen. It has yeah. nothing to do with the healers. And in fact, healing doesn't have anything to do with the healers because what they do is open. This is what I've learned is they open you up spiritually and your soul and your own physical body heals itself. 
Yeah, yeah, that's similar to the energy healing and stuff that you hear hear about too, like Reiki or whatever. It's the same same sort of principle. Huh. So, so here in in our Western society, we have a lot of people that have a hard time being can't diagnose exactly what's going on or or to find uh, certain treatments. Um, how, and then and then this, there's also a challenge even if you're open to all this alternative healing type thing how how do you know where to go like if i'm having a problem with my doctors finding what's wrong with me and sending me to all these different specialists and you know or not sending me to different specialists and i'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on with my body and um and i want to try these different things how do you know where to start do you just start with you know whatever and go there like how can you tune into maybe what might work for you yeah well number one uh, that's called the allopathic hell, and everybody's in it right now that goes to the doctor because they say, hey, you know, it's not your, I only do eyes. That's an eyelash thing. You got to go to the eyelash guy. And the eyelash guy says, well, you should go back to the other one and let's check, go to the blood guy. And, da, 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 da. and they all push you off on somebody else, right? That's number one. Um, <laughs> number two is the, the um, the, the pharmacology business, um, these people are destroying human beings, okay? Um, and it's very hard to even find natural medicine because they're going to get rid of it. In the United States, they do. Um, if there are people that are MDs that are doing um, healing, spiritual healing, for instance, and medical healing, they're going to go to jail. That's, you know, they're going to get it. So what do people do? Well, for, uh, you know, I mean, I do phone consults with people and we talk about, you know, what the doctors say and what they might do. Um, you know, it's not convenient or necessary, perhaps, for people to go to South America. Um, some people are willing to do it because they say, I want to live and I'll do whatever needs to be done. Um, in terms of the medical nightmare that I call hell. Uh, I think the best thing to do, this is my personal opinion, um, is to get the proper tests to find out what is what before you make a treatment choice. And, you know, for me, treatment choice is a very personal thing. You know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people that have the C thing and they go, if I don't have the chemo, I know I'm going to die. Right. So please take the chemo. And I'm not even saying that chemo is bad. Absolutely not. It, it's, um, but one has to live with the choices and the choices are big. It's not like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to go to the movies tonight. This is a big deal. And we're all responsible for ourselves. Um, and there's a lot of things that can be done uh, in the alternative traditional route and the allopathic route. Now, for instance, if with what I had, that I went to Ecuador and I became healed. Right. But if I'm in a car accident, you know, get the ambulance and, you know, put my leg together, you know, because okay, so, both things are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand that. And that's that's good to hear you say that because I think that people skeptical people don't think that 
people like yourself will say that like there is a combination of you know western and, and alternative uh healing or therapies that that is good but i i was trying to get at how do you pick uh an alternative healing modality like let's say you're living in a you know you're living in a small town you don't have access to travel that far you're not getting any help from uh western medicine anymore it's been decades you're you're um you're not you're not you don't have something terminal going on so you're not you know in in danger of of dying uh by the big c or anything like that but you have a chronic condition that you don't know what to do with like how do you choose what alternate therapy to to start trying or how do you you know what i mean like clear your mind and go okay like you know i believe in try or i'm open-minded to try other things but where do i start and that mm. sounds like that's what you do on your phone con consults right i do i mean i sometimes well i do healing uh i help people um uh, physically if they're in front of me um some people that i talk to on the phone um they just want to know which chemotherapy is better or which doctor and i you know i'm not a doctor i'm not a specialist but you know, if they want my advice from what I've gone through, um, you know, I don't want to get say that I'm doing administering anything because that put me in jail. OK, so I don't do that. But then, you know, I say, well, this is what's happened to so and so and so and so. Um, then the other thing is I have sent people to uh, other healers. I will send them to Ecuador or take them. Uh, John of God. Um, there's yeah, some people. Yeah. People in the Philippines, I will send them to someone in Bali. Um, I will give them um, things to do that they can do self-healing. And self-healing is, especially if it's not chronic, it's a very good thing to do because you learn about your body in a certain kind of way where your intuition starts opening up and you know better what you need to do. And I think that's even better than, you know, something else. I mean, I... There, uh, around me, there's some very, very, very um, highly dedicated, incredible healers. I, you know, if somebody's calling me from Calgary or Idaho, I don't know anybody there particularly, but okay. I can, I can get them someplace, and I can get them to start uh, working on with themselves immediately. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you understand where I'm coming from though, right? I think it's, 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 it's difficult. Like I've, you know, experienced different, you know, healing modalities and some of them work better than others. And it seems like it's kind of a crapshoot. It's like, even if you're open-minded and you try this and that, some may resonate you, some may not. It just seems like it's, it's always like a journey to find what's going to work for you. Well, you know, that's true. And I think that, um, trying a uh, self-healing, you know, I don't, I'm not talking about, uh, I feel good, you know, that affirmation stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something serious that you can, you as a large you, could do to begin the healing practice. Um, and, you know, it depends. To some people, you know, sometimes it's good to leave your environment to, if you have the money and the possibility to, to do that because there's a, a, a lot of experience um, and uh, sometimes, you know, I mean, Reiki, uh, cranial sacral, these things are good, but there are, let's face it, there are great healers because the, the juju, the juice, God's coming right through them. And there's others that, you know, kind of spritz out. So, you know, I can't recommend, you know, one 
thing over another in that regard. It depends on the person that is the connection with the divine, basically, and what resonates with you. So I think it's, um, you know, it's, it has not been tricky for me, but I've been called to these different places. Um, I guess my intuition is pretty active. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's inspiring. Um, it's inspiring hearing the stories and hearing the possibilities for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever uh, have you ever had any negative sort of experiences or, or encountered any any you know non healing entities or anything like that while under the influence? Oh yeah, lots of them. I've seen it all, <laughs> and you know what the thing is like. Basically, what you have to do is say, "Move on. You're not wanted here." Okay. And they do because you have to invite them in and people don't know that they go, Oh, who's this? Or I'm afraid of you. And, but they don't say, get out of my way. I don't want you here. And that's, that's something I suppose you all should know if you go down to um, South America to do ayahuasca or if you're doing it in your backyard, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. You gotta, you gotta make, you gotta make them leave because um, there, you know, there's 50, basically there's 50% good, 50% bad, and you better be in the middle. Okay. <laughs> Have you seen the mother ayahuasca? Uh, the dragon no. or the, the reptile? Oh, that, yeah. I walked in the mouth. Okay. Got I right in that in mouth. mouth. <laughs> I went right into the mouth. Really? And I got taken through a doorway to another place and was like, holy shit. Ah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, okay. I, I just got a crazy one that came to me here. I've, I've been uh, looking at doing an episode on this, but have you ever heard of anybody? Um, uh, this is a bit of a weird one. Healing uh, chronic uh, or, or incubus or succubus encounters, that type of thing. Yep. Been there, done that. You're personally or. Uh, I know I didn't have an incubus succubus, but I have been in South America, both in Brazil. Actually, I work with a lot of Africans, too, and in the jungle where, um, yeah, there there are these uh, attachments or possessions or. Yes. Yeah. And and they're. uh, Hey, some of them are really. Oh, God, they're from the beginning of creation and they are nasty. Ooh. Yes, and that can be handled. You can't get that handled in North America, okay? I don't think. No, I mean, there's no, probably a, a few people. A there's probably a few people that can do it. Um, I wouldn't want to do it on my own. It's that, That's some heavy duty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been there. I've done it, and I've seen it, and I've seen those guys. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so even if... You even have if, a succubus problem, Grant? <laughs> Never you mind. Or an incubus? So... <laughs> Both, <laughs> both, yeah, yeah. We sent we sent them off together. Okay. <laughs> Does that mean I'm bisexual if I have bo- if I have encounters with both of them? I don't know. Maybe there's something I don't know. This seems yeah. like a party. Maybe you've got several <laughs> split personalities. Maybe, yeah. Um. So no, I'm not talking about myself. But um, <laughs> if people, what if what if it's not a you know a uh, do you still consider it an attachment if if it only comes around like if you know, like once in a while. Is it kind of like a dormant attachment? Huh. 
Oh, God. Well, you know, that's a whole subject that could go on for a long time. Um, okay. There are, you don't yeah. have to answer that. We can leave it there. If you there want. are small attachments, but, you know, you don't want that either. Like, there was somebody um, who was at the dentist in a hospital, and across the room somebody died and went into this person while they were having their Novocaine, okay? And mm. because, you know, what happens is that person doesn't really know their dad, and they want... So they need to feed on life. You don't want that. Right. You got you got to send it. You know you got to send it home. Okay. No, no, I'm not saying it's wanted. I'm just wondering if if it's still considered an, an you know an attachment, right? If it if it you know I I kind of picture that if if it's happening, you know, every week over years. But if the if the phenomena, for lack of better term, better term, is slowed down over over time, and it's only happening every few years like you know why is that is it just that you're getting stronger and you're less open to the attachment happening kind of thing well i don't know because that's a little too general but if it's happening every couple of years that means that you know it's sucking your energy maybe you'd have more energy if if um you know even though it doesn't pop out like dramatically except for oh, two years no, that's a good point maybe it's still there in the background sucking your energy yeah yeah where why would it go unless it found somebody do, else girl? yeah no that's true i don't well, i didn't know if they if they roam around between not really they, they, share, they, usually, you know. they usually like to attach um monogamous yeah, I don't know if they're monogamous. They they just unless they can find somebody better. Hey, you know they're going to keep with you know one one bird in the bush or whatever two in the hand or you know the opposite of that. Uh, yeah, so monogamous. Um, yeah, <laughs> but but most of them are well. I would um, they're relatively harmless. They're just confused. And so they don't mean to suck off you, but I mean, there's some that are not harmless and they come back because they want to ravage, drink and smoke. And all of a sudden somebody can't, you know, four packs a day isn't enough. And no matter what they do, they can't stop because they're, you know, that attachment is smoking. Huh. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying everybody that smokes has an attachment. I'm not saying that, you know. But yeah, and so yeah, you can get along until you're 80, still smoking. Um, but maybe at some point you wanted to quit and you couldn't. Um, and that's you know, nicotine's a big addiction. But they, they do stuff like that. Sweet, sweet nicotine. <laughs> yeah. Or somebody that has you know an affinity for donuts all of a sudden for the rest. Of, I don't that's know. Crap. You know. Graham's a donut guy. You just, Are you, you just a donut guy? Like, yeah, hey, yeah, you just I just found out. Addiction. Yeah. yeah, got your problem down. Hey, yeah, we we, we can get we can get rid of that. <laughs> That's how I meditate. <laughs> Darren thinks <laughs> smoking is his meditation. <laughs> it can be. It can yeah, be. I know. See, don't say that. You're just yeah, you're just more enabling him. <laughs> I I think smoking is great. Okay. Really? Did you hear that silence? Oh you know, I, I don't, I don't believe it is as bad as, yeah, I don't believe it is as bad as, as you know, so, well, you know, American cigarettes, they have uh, 200 additives in them, can, you know, that cause cancer. Get rid of that. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. That's a big Let's deal. Go back to smoking pipes. Yeah. 
No, well, that, that might have additives, but like in Brazil, I would smoke these cigarettes. They were like eight or nine inches long, very skinny. And it was local tobacco, which is not as addictive as um, uh, our cigarettes. And it would rolled up in a corn husk. And they were used um, during cere- uh, ceremonies um, because I worked with the Africans there a lot. And it would take, you know, a day practically to smoke a whole one because you, you could put it out. And But I never felt, ever felt that um, it was harming me. However, I suppose if you're smoking a lot of cigarettes, that could be harmful. It's everything in moderation. Yeah, yeah, okay. So sorry to take you off your, off your uh, ecstatic healing book. Is there anything else uh, in that regards that you want to address? In ecstatic healing? Well, after... Working with Joao, I was introduced to uh, Umbanda. Um, are you familiar with Umbanda? It's an Afro-African religion that came, you know, with the slaves, and mostly from the Yoruba, from Benin, um, Daome, well, Daume, and um, they worship um, where they bring in African deities and become possessed. And the deity will do um, the healing. And so I did many, many, many possession ceremonies. I still do. Um, And so that's in the book. And there's some very, for me, I think for people that don't know about it, it's probably a pretty interesting situation. Um, And the book ends up um, in South Africa where I go to the High Senussi Guza Mazulu Credo Mutua. And um, he's known as the father of Africa. He's one of the highest priests ever. Okay. And um, I start in the beginning of the book, it shows how I end up with him. Because, you know, in 1990 or something like that, I was at a friend's house. They said, hey, there's somebody coming in. He's been all over the world. He's this incredible shaman. I'm inviting a few people over. They're about 15. And the guy's got all these things on a table, you know, like feathers and rattles and beads and, you know, what have you. And he goes, please don't touch these. These are very sacred. And he starts moving around where he asks us to be in a circle. And he moves around and he's singing and chanting. And then he's got, you know, rattles and stuff. And he picks up these beads and he goes from each person. This is like white beads, big chunky white bead necklace and he puts it over here to this person this person touches it and he's moving around about nine people and it comes to me and i start going <laughs> and i'm electrocuted my eyeballs are popping out of my head spit is coming out of my mouth and he keeps saying hold on to the power hold on to the power and we're dancing around the room and there's streams of color and you know, I mean, I could not get away from this thing. It was like being electrocuted. And finally, it broke off. And I said to the guy, I said, oh, my God, what was that? And he said, well, this is the High Senussi's, um beads that I was given in a, a ceremony when I became a Sangoma, which is a shaman. And, and I said, but... Why did that happen to me? What, 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 what's going on? And um, he said, the same thing happened to me when I touched Black Elk's rattle. 
I started convulsing like that and I became unconscious. You know, these are power objects. So that night um, I have this dream and this African comes to me. He's in the, you know, he's got this leopard skin and this big long shield and sword. And he says, come, come to me. You know, I'm calling you. And I'm like, holy camoli, you know. So eventually I end up with him. And he teaches me a lot about healing and about African um, cosmology. And uh, he's an extraordinary being. He's in his 90s now. Um, And so eventually I ended up in South Africa. I said, I don't have any money. I don't know how to get there. But it was almost like, I had to go through the Africans in Brazil and get set up with possession and understanding how these, how the spiritual world works um, before I could go down there. And uh, then I've spent a lot of time in Nigeria. I love it. I love it. And I'm worried about West Africa with all the Ebola big time. And I've worked with, um, people in Egypt in trance ceremonies and in Bali and Zimbabwe and Botswana. And uh, I like it. Okay. That's my life. That's my life. Now you have itchy feet and you need to travel. Yeah. Patas calientes, hot feet in Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) So I think uh, before we we start wrapping up here, Darren's got a, a question for you that he asks, uh, he likes to ask all of our guests. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're catching you off guard with that. No, you should ask. Yeah, me. we should, uh, we should, uh, well, we should prepare people for this. question. We should probably. prepare people. Yeah. We should have a brochure. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the term synchronicity? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we do a little thing here where, where I, um, we kind of let our listeners send in their synchronicities and we share them amongst ourselves. Um, so we kind of like to ask our guests what, uh, if they, if they're familiar with the term, what it means to them, if there's any meaning behind them and, uh, if they care to share maybe one or two of their, their own experiences. Well, number one, I've already shared those experiences about like, for instance, the beads and ending up in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, is that synchronicity? I mean, I think of uh, Jung, Carl Jung, as things being synchronous. I think there are no mistakes ever. So, I like knock my coffee off the counter. Are you doing it now? <laughs> Not now. <laughs> um. Tell me about your synchronous events. Well, I'm not, uh, I don't have a lot myself. I'm, I'm kind of um, (laughs) the the judge. He's the, he's like the (laughs) third party Canadian ranking system. system. And I've been told I'm too harsh, (laughs) but uh, Graham's got oodles of them. (laughs) Oh yeah. A little one. I have a little. This is a new one. I have a tiny little one. Yeah, it's a new one. Ooh. I was going to save it for our intro tonight, but so I'm driving down the road the other day, and I see this car pull into. I'm listening to a podcast. It's a, a friend of mine named Richard Sarrett, and his guest is Joel Skousen. So, and I see this 
car is pulling into my lane. Like he's actually going like right into my lane. So I have to slow down and kind of let him in. And he's got this sticker on the side, the back of his truck and it's a driving force. And I guess it's this like a rental, it's a fleet leasing, rental, a fleet rental yeah. thing or whatever. And I'm wondering what the, who's this driving force? And as I, I pull up beside him, I'm thinking about the driving force. Joel Skousen on the podcast says driving force. Right. Ah, at the same time. I love, so, don't you love that? So, yeah. I mean, I think that's a little, that's a good one. It's a little synchronicity. Cause that's I mean, what a, are the, four. a four, four and 4.2. He always rates me uh, harsher than uh, everybody else. And, and wait a minute. You have to get up to 10. Is that the, is that the, well, is that the ten. case? I've given out an eight. <laughs> So anyways, that little, those little things happen to me quite a bit. And it seems rare because, I mean, I'm looking at the sticker wondering about it. And the guy says, driving. Who's, who's, like, when have I heard driving force in a podcast? Probably never. Maybe once or twice. All the time. Dan Carlin. Oh, boy. No, you maybe. And there's like a million driving force vehicles at Calgary. <laughs> I'd say the odds that you were driving by a driving force vehicle when he said driving force. Are pretty good. Were like. One in 20. So I mean, 5%. Oh, that's funny. You know, whenever um, I see eight ones, I know something big is going to happen. Together? Yeah. One, 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 one. So I was. 11 million. Whatever. 111,111. So I'm sitting in my car. And I look at the odometer and I go, holy shit, I'm at that number. And boom, my grandmother starts talking to me. So, yeah. And then I was in Brazil and that number came up. And something else happened there, right at that number. So whenever I see that, um, it gets, gets me all chilly inside. Because I know, or shivery, because I know yeah. something's yeah. coming. Wow, you get, I like that. Yeah, you get, that's a lot of that's a lot of ones. Okay, that's a lot of ones. To look at your odometer and see that—that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'd be watching for it. I'd be waiting for it to happen if I knew mine was coming up. My <laughs> Wi-Fi password at work is ten eights. Ten eights. Yeah. Hey. Eight 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 eight. How many? No zeros in there. Did you get any get that recently? Uh, maybe eight or nine months ago. Mm. Eight months, eight days, eight seconds, eight hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's tenacious. And and uh, what? Is there eight place? letters in tenacious? What took place? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, what happened when those eights come up? Oh, nothing. Then I get Wi-Fi. <laughs> really? Hey, is that is that like synesthesia instead of synchronicity? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Maybe you yeah. see Maybe eights and you hear something. Up. You don't see yeah. it, you hear it. <laughs> yeah, I got mushrooms. Mm. Your Wi-Fi is connected like an eight. Infinity. So, anyways, that's our synchronicity segment. <laughs> Love it. So you don't think there's any mistakes and everything is is part of a ta- a grand tapestry kind of thing that's uh, fate in a way. Fate, that's a different thing. Okay. Fate presupposes that um, you're going to do something before you do it, and that 
doesn't allow us to have will to move in a direction that we want to. Interesting. But ultimately, ultimately, if we have no um, memories in us, then we're completely free. And in inspiration, life force, new, you know, like everything is brand new. Right? Right. Like staying in the moment, being in the moment, not remembering, but just being. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Do we do we do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we want to uh, really thank you for coming on here. That was a that was a fun chat. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we wrap it up? Um, can we give them my website or my email? For sure, we're going to give you the website and we'll put it in the show notes and everything too. So, okay. And what is that then? The website is uh, blacksmokethebook.com. Okay. And my email's in there. There's some information about the books. There's some audio of the shaman, the Uishin singing in the Amazon, and, Ooh. you know, some odds and ends like that. And I'd love to hear from people. Great. And, and there's a link uh, to your ecstatic healing book in there, too. Right? Yeah. And also... Um, they're both published by Inner Traditions. Um, I am taking a group down in November. There's so um, people can contact me. It's not up on the website yet, um, so it'd be the first people, first people that could uh, sign up. Great, you could be first, Graham. Yeah, hey, come on, you'll go to Mars, but you won't go to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to go to Brazil. I'm going to do it one day, one day soon. I hope. Maybe you came from Mars. Yeah, As an probably. Ijiji. Ijiji. <laughs> That's where they came from. Yeah, those Ijijis. <laughs> That's where they came from. Uh, maybe. I think we're all entities from somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Were you born and bred in Calvary? No, I was uh, born in Montreal, raised in Vancouver, and just been in Calgary for a couple of years. Oh, you like both sides and the middle, right? <laughs> That's what she said, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well played, sir. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, we'll link to all that in the show notes, and and thanks again for for the chat. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Lots of love. And we are back to the Grand America show, and that was our chat with Margaret DeWeiss. Margaret DeWeiss? Are you questioning me? Oh, I'm stating. <laughs> so what did you think? That was quite the quite the episode. Yeah, that was a good yeah? one. Black jaguars and healing and uh, all kinds of crazy Ayahuasca. healing stories. Yeah. Puking stories. Yeah. I, uh, I like that, man. I, uh, I would like to do trial, you know, we were talking about, um, trials with DMT and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wouldn't it be good to do some where people actually try and heal themselves, you know? With ayahuasca or with just, just in, like, general? in general? Yeah. 
psilocybin, DMT, ayahuasca, whatever. I mean, that's what the, the shaman are doing, but in a trial setting, you know? Yeah, I know how we could do a trial setting. <laughs> we'll get 10 plants, and we'll plant clovers in them all, and we'll give them to 10 people. Clovers. And we'll tell five of them to intend 10 minutes a day that a four-leaf clover is going to grow. See if any four-leaf clovers grow. What do you think? No? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, one of our listeners talked about finding two Two of them found four-leaf clovers. Yeah, to her and her friend found four-leaf clovers. You know I can hear that, right? No. <laughs> so do you think it's rare that a four-leaf clover would be grown? But you think we can intend, intentionally grow a four-leaf clover? I don't know. You'd probably need more than 10 people. You probably wouldn't get any four-leaf clovers. You think? I don't well, think so. Yeah. All you need to do is... What if you got five? What does that and mean? The other five had no four-leaf clovers. That would mean five out of 10. No, that would mean five out of five. Oh. Oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm. And then we'll, do, then we'll, do, we'll get 15, and we'll give five people a bunch of ayahuasca. And then see if they can grow four-leaf clovers? How long does it take for four-leaf clovers to grow? 25% longer than a three-leaf clover? Psych. <laughs> Trick question. Four-leaf clovers don't exist like unicorns. What? You haven't seen one? Yeah, I've seen a few. Oh, then there you go. Those are glitches. Unicorns? Those are glitches in the Matrix. You've seen it. I just heard it from you now. You've, you've seen unicorns. I've rode just unicorns. Said it. <laughs> so again, big thanks to Margaret for coming on the show. Uh, as always, check out Moneybomb, grimeamerica.ca slash Moneybomb. Uh, if you value the show, give us a subscription of five bucks a month and we'll shoot you an email address while supplies last. It won't work, but you can try. No, it works now. <laughs> Mine doesn't on my computer anymore. Yeah, well, that's a grab thing. <laughs> I emailed out instructions to everybody else and not one person had a problem. Or at least has said anything. Yeah, you physically set mine up for me and, and I have a problem so what is that telling you it tells you to get a Mac <laughs> or learn how to use your PC oh, better oh come on like it had it going and then it just stopped working out of the blue so I don't out know the blue. like today your headphones were working <laughs> out of the blue it was a million to one shot doc million to one so anyways, we like the feedback. Uh, you can spam Graham. That's me, uh, G-R-A-H-A-M. At GrahamAmerica.com. Of course, check out the newsletter, uh, GrahamAmerica.ca slash news. Uh, that's coming out weekly now. Keep you up to date on the backstage feed. and uh, Upcoming guests upcoming and UFO guests quotes and all that. Graham's quotes. Yeah. So all that fun stuff. As always, review the show where you can and uh, tell people about Graham America. Yep. Thanks, and, and uh, tweet Twitter, uh, tweet Darren at, uh, at Gramerica. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. As usual, you will find everything in the show notes as well as all the music you heard. 